Hello, everybody, and welcome to Explain It to Me Like I'm a 10-Year-Old. Today, I'm very lucky to have David Carr with me, the founder of Guayaki Yerba Mate. He founded Guayaki in 1996 on the Cal Poly campus after his friend Alex introduced him to Yerba Mate. The Yerba Mate is a plant native to the South American rainforest and has been used as tea for centuries. After falling in love with Yerba Mate, he decided to make a business out of it and co-founded Guayaki with Alex and three other friends. Now they've been in business for 25 years and now are in 10,000 stores. I'm so excited for our interview today. Hi, David. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on your uh, interview. Thank you so much. I'm so, so excited. So to kick things off, tell me the story about how you first discovered Yerba Mate. Well, it was introduced to me, as you shared in the intro a little bit, by a friend of mine uh, named Alejandro. He's Argentine. And I had met him briefly at a restaurant because he was waiting tables at a place where I went to go eat. Um, and, but he lived on an uh, organic farm not too far away from where we went to university. And he invited me out to have dinner with him um, after, after we met at the restaurant. So we went out there and we had a traditional Argentine barbecue. And then after you have a meal together, it's very common to, to pass around yerba mate and share it out of the traditional yerba mate gourd, which is that vessel with a straw that you've seen people drinking yerba mate out of. And um, after I drank the yerba mate for the first time with him, I was pretty much hooked. Tell me more about that first moment of trying it. Did you immediately think of like, I got to start a business. I got to get this into the U.S. more. Well, I didn't because I was actually already starting a, a computer business. I grew up, as you know, in uh, the Silicon Valley and I was kind of more or less what I knew. And so at the time, people were just learning how to buy computers. And so I was helping them get like a, a board and RAM and ROM and a floppy drive and put it together. And I, I wasn't particularly passionate about it. But at the time when I met Alex and I drank that first gourd, I had profound things happen in my body. See, I was one of those people that grew up with a lot of hay fever and allergies really badly. And so I spent a lot of time suffering, especially in California, because things were always blooming. And I ended up being one of those kids that took a lot of, you know, drugs like Sudafed and Benadryl. And, and they would make me feel a little bit better, but I feel foggy and not that good. And, and so I decided to stop taking those drugs. And the only thing that ever made me feel really good was lots of exercise, which is why I liked surfing and mom biking. And, and when I drank the gourd that first time with Alex, within like 15 minutes of drinking it, I really felt my head clear up and my breathing got easier. And I was like, what is this stuff? I couldn't believe it existed because my whole life I had suffered so much. And he started telling me about this product that was revered as a powerful rejuvenator and in South America and was revered by the indigenous people for all these different health benefits. And, you know, I was like, wow. And so every time we got together and drank yerba mate out of the gourd, I, I kept on feeling those same health benefits. And so really I came to it through like this, the physiological benefits of the product. I'd love to learn a bit more about the, the yerba mate. You know, I haven't, I haven't tried it yet, but what's the drinking experience? Like, as you know, you feel great, but what about, you know, the taste, the texture, what else? Well, that's kind of funny because I, I think the taste was one of the things that was challenging for a lot of people at first because traditionally you, you drink it strong out of a, like a squash-like gourd and you put a silver, generally like silver metal straw into it that has little slits and you sip it 
almost like espresso. So it's very strong, very green, very earthy. And a lot of people didn't particularly like that flavor. And so we would have a, a fairly difficult time introducing it for the first number of years because we always made it strong so people would feel it. But it wasn't until maybe three or four years into the business, we started mixing it with a little bit of sugar and milk and making mate lattes. And then a whole bunch more people really started liking it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to zero in on that, that first transition from just loving the product to starting a business. What were those first steps that you took? Well, like I said, about six months after meeting Alex and drinking mate with him, you know, we decided to get into business together and we just started packaging the product and he was living in a mobile home and we just started sitting together and talking and sharing stories. And he was telling me all about the projects where Yerba Mate came from and the indigenous people and the small farmers who were growing Yerba Mate to protect their land, to make money. So they didn't have to cut down the forest to make money or raise cattle to make money or grow genetically modified crops to make money. They could sell Yerba Mate. And so I was really like impressed by that whole business model. And that was a dream. And that's where we came up with, uh, you know, the, the term market-driven regeneration was the more that people bought the product, the more we could do the regenerative work, which was buying Yerba Mate from these small farmers and indigenous people to, to help them steward their land and pay for their lives. And so that was really where it all came from. Mm-hmm. Well, so you, you talked a bit about you know, the challenge of having the strong taste of Yerba Mate. I, I interviewed the CEO of Samazon. He talked about the challenges of bringing a new product to market in the U.S., even if it's just a bit uh, obscure at the, at the moment because it's just really new and it's hard to get a lot of traction from major retailers. Tell us about how you dealt with that and, and, and what people's reactions were. Yeah, it's very challenging. And I know Ryan, the founder of Samazon, really well, a really good guy. Who And they had even... They had a lot of challenges because their product was refrigerated and it had to be frozen to be shipped because it was a berry. And you really want to protect all the life-giving properties. But every, you know, every business has its challenges. And you know, the berry tasted really good when they mixed it with sugar. And so did Yerba Mate. We mixed it with sugar and milk and made mate lattes. But very much the same thing. Like we had to educate people on what it was and why they would potentially want it you know, use it in their life and buy it. And so that was really a one by one by one person by person introducing it to people. And because at the time, like 25 years ago, a lot of these healthy products weren't very mainstream. Everyone was buying these products more out of like a natural food store or a co-op. So it was a much smaller stores, not as many, and it was much harder to get them distributed there. And we had to work on setting up distribution through like people who would buy our products. So you know, any, any startup is really challenged by figuring out like who your market is and the best way to service that market. How would you do those pitches to people? If I was just a new customer that you wanted to get, how would you pitch the product to me? (laughs) That's a really good question. What we did honestly was we had only two packages. We had half a pound of loose Monte and we had tea bags. So we showed up to these super small stores and we told them that if we were to set up and serve and brew the product and and sell it to their customers, like serve it for free to their customers that we believe that people would buy the product. And if they did, they would bring in the product. So we wouldn't even, they wouldn't even buy it. They'd take it in like on consignment, which means we're here. And if we can sell product to your customers, then we'll take your product to the store. We did that over and over again, really for years. And that was how we built the business just by proving that people really liked the product when we made it for them. Yeah, well, how, how did it change from that, you know, loose leaf 
tea they had to brew in the store till all the all the cans you see around the grocery store? Well, it was kind of a natural progression. So for the first eight years, we only had loose mate. And so we brewed up every single cup that everyone ever tried. And, and it wasn't until we started putting milk and sugar in that people thought it was yummy, right? And so that was for everything hot. But really, like a lot of young people like to drink things that are cold. And so when we finally put the product in cans, uh, well, first it was glass bottles. That was 2005. And we were still learning how to work with, to blend yerba mate at the time. And the products were really good. The glass was breakable and harder to ship around than cans. And so when we finally put the product in cans around 2010, we were able to go a lot further away with the product and a lot quicker. And then there was much quicker adoption. People liked it. It was easy. And by that time we knew how to brew it really well too. There was a real art and science to preparing and brewing your mate. And then it really took off from there quite a bit more. Well, yeah, tell me about the, the whole brewing process and producing the, this, this tea on a really large scale to get it into thousands of stores. Well, we have partners who actually focus on uh, co-packing the product, which means they put it into the can for us and they brew it in big tanks. And so we have several partners around you know, the United States who will brew it and put it in the cans for us. And we focus more on the importation, the sales and the marketing and the distribution, but we haven't actually done all the brewing of it ourselves. Got it. It's a whole nother business to brew millions and millions of cans. And and what about the harvesting process? Well, we have uh, partnerships with, you know, thousands of farmers, small farmers and indigenous people who actually harvest the product. And we, they get paid a fair trade wage to harvest it. That's part of the, the business model is paying people a fair wage, having good working conditions, certified organic product. And so there's a lot of people who harvest the product throughout Paraguay, Argentina, and Brazil. Can you tell me a bit more about your market-driven regeneration strategy? Yeah, it was simply a way of like thinking about the more people buy, the more we could drive positive change in the world. And in our case, it was regeneration because yerba mate is a tree from the rainforest. It's from a particular rainforest that you mentioned earlier, which is the Atlantic forest, which has been mostly deforested, like 90% or more has been cut down. And so the idea was if we could drive enough demand, meaning make, you know, make people want the product enough that they would buy more and more of it, we could go to those areas where it's been deforested and it's just all sun-grown mate and start planting hardwood trees over the yerba mate trees and bring back the forest. And we've been able to do that in, in, in a lot of projects where we live and we're really scaling the reforestation at the same time that we're scaling the business. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I saw you have an impact report on your website where you talk about oh. some of the impacts you've made. Um, like, how, how do you kind of keep track of that and all the impact you're making? And that's something that we're trying to do, get better and better at doing because it's changing so much all the time. And there's so many things, you know, like you, whatever you measure, you tend to get good at. And so the things that we are measuring and wanting to measure more is like, how many workers are we paying a fair wage? How many acres of rainforest are we stewarding? How much carbon is the rainforest sequestering in the soil? How much water are we using? How much water are we conserving? Like all, how much energy, energy, energy are we using to dry our product? All those things are things that we're, we're trying to measure better all the time. And those are captured in the, in the impact report. There's a lot of companies that just say they're really green and don't really do anything. So how do you, we as a consumer 
you know, if a company's just using sustainability claim, how do we know if they're just using it as marketing or if they're really serious about sustainability? That's a great question. And I'm really glad you brought it up. And I, I really wish consumers or customers in general would look deeper into the brands and, and rather than just buy something because it looks pretty or they hear it's good, like do the research, go to the company's website, spend a little bit of time man, on a little bit of time, at least reading about the company and seeing if there's stories out there and and seeing if they're really walking the talk and they're really doing what they're saying they're doing. Because, you know, obviously for a company like Waikiki, who's been around for 26 years now, there should be information out there about what we're doing beyond what we're saying. So in our case, there's all kinds of articles that have been written about us. And you can, and there are, you know, third party individuals saying, this is what they're doing. We've been down there and seen it. And so it's, I wouldn't just take everything you, you see or read for granted, but really look into it deeper. You know, obviously you're really good about sustainability and you help a lot, but what are some other companies that you particularly admire? Well, we've, you know, we've admired a lot of companies in the space who have inspired us in a lot of ways. And you, you mentioned one earlier, Samazon. I mean, they've been, they've been on this path for 20 years and are always pushing, you know, the edge in terms of what, how they can do more and scale their business and making good decisions. Dr. Bronner's soap company, which is still reinnovating itself, you know, hundred plus years in business. Patagonia is at the top of the charts in terms of walking the talk and, you know, really trying to make a difference and really thinking about the impact they have as a business. I would say that, you know, those are, are three to start with. Numi T and I know another friend of ours who just does a lot of work with small farmers and producing their product and traditional medicinals, another tea company I know really well. They're really walking the talk and I know about some of their deeper work. There's a lot of companies. And if you, if you really do the research, you can find them. In fact, a good place to start is, uh, looking at all the B corporations. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of B corporations? Yes. Right there. Wait, well, can you explain that to our audience? Uh, B corporations are stand for benefit corporations and they're organizations who have a, have a, a goal to be, become a positive benefit for humanity. So they don't have to just make profit. They can actually have a societal bottom line or a cultural bottom line or economic bottom line in their legal charter. And so there's, when, you know, when we started as one of the founding members of the corporation, there's only 25 of them, but now there's like a couple thousand of them, 50 plus countries, and they're always a good resource. If you could, I'm, I'm curious about this. If you could start another food and bev company and add something to the, the empire, uh, <clears throat> what, what product would you be most excited about for sustainability? That's a really good question. And to be honest, I haven't thought about starting another company because I still feel like I'm really deep in this one. And for me, it's, it's all has been less about, say, the product and more about my, con, you know, my connection to the product and the people around it and the impact. And so it's not like a simple question. And, and, and Guayaquil has always been such a project of passion. So it's had, it had me from like the physiological impact, like the way, the way I felt, the connection I had with Alex, the connection I had with South America and the rainforest and how I thought the rainforest was really important as the lungs of the planet, all these things. So it wasn't just one thing. It's not just A, B, C, or D. It was all, it was, I was it's how everything lined up in my life. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to talk a bit about, you know, reflect on some of the things you've done. If you look back on, you know, all those moments and, and all those things you've done for the rainforest, for the people that work there, what are some of the moments that make you the proudest to look back on? <laughs> You asked a lot of good questions. The, the proudest moments I have are the, are the shared moments that I have with friends in my community and things that we've done together. And so in, in my case, it would be going to events 
with many people from Guayaquil and serving a lot of yerba mate and just seeing people get turned on and who have never met the product before and being like, wow, this tastes good. And then they feel good. And then they come over and they have questions about what we're doing as a company. And then they're just, they just can't believe what we're doing and where the product comes from. Those are in general, the moments that bring you the most satisfaction over time is when you're more in service than actually receiving. Yeah. So my final question for you. Okay. Hey, don't worry. Um, so what, my final question for you today is, what is your vision for a more sustainable world in 20 plus years? I'm looking at them. It's people like you that give me hope, man. You are, like It's your generation and the generation, every single generation, believe me, that beneath me that gives me hope because you're asking the right questions and you care. Because, you know, a lot of people north of me, they're kind of set in their ways most of the time. It's few and far between, you know, and so it's the young people who are inspired and want to create the world they want to live in. I don't think I've ever been interviewed by a 12 year old in my life. And you've definitely knocked it out of the park. It's definitely one of the, you're one of the best interviewers I've had yet. And so you give me hope. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time. So great to meet you. Oh, well, likewise. Thank you again. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day.